1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 10 and read through verse 14. 1 Peter 5, 10 through 14. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. I do not need to prove to you we are coming to the end of our study in 1 Peter. We will study verses 10 through 14 in this video, and as time permits, we will do some reviewing back through some of the practical commandments and lessons in the book of 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter, from the very first of this epistle, acknowledges that these Christians in Asia Minor were suffering for righteousness' sake. Five chapters, and in every single chapter, there is some reference to their suffering. Also reference to the hope and faith that they should continue to have in their suffering and the activity of that faith and hope. So we are not surprised to find again near the end of the epistle another reference to their difficult circumstance, their suffering for righteousness' sake. Notice, after you have suffered for a little while, I believe you'll agree some significance should be placed on the temporary time of their suffering for a little while. Whatever hardship, whatever suffering, whatever pressure we are under about earthly things and earthly conditions, if we will continue steadfast in the faith, there'll come a time when we'll recognize that was only a brief time and that there will be for God's people, always a good, ultimate outcome. Regarding this hope, it can be said, the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. This is like what Peter taught in chapter 1. We are protected or kept by the power of God through our faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the assurance we have as we stand firm. Whatever we may go through on earth, if we continue to stand firm, this is the promised good outcome that God will see that we have. Of course, I have a role to play in this assurance of good outcome. 
You have a role to play in this. God doesn't force heaven on anyone. My role is to respond to him in obedience to Christ, to stand firm in the faith. My role, as we learned in the previous verses in the previous video, resist the devil. So we may suffer for a little while, but as we continue to suffer, God, who called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. And for the original readers of this letter, we believe the fires of persecution would harden and strengthen, and their situation would be heated up by persecution, but they would be strengthened as they continued the obedience of their faith. Verse 11 is what is commonly called a doxology, and that is to say an expression or statement intended to glorify God. To, <clears throat> I'm sorry, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Dominion places emphasis on power, rule, sovereignty. Everything we've studied in 1 Peter shows or proves the might of God. All of the teaching here shows and exalts the almighty God. And there can be no reason to think this will ever change forever and ever God will retain his power and sovereignty. The word amen is a statement of solemn agreement, literally meaning be it so or so be it. The combination of words in 1 Peter 5.11 are written to exalt, glorify, and praise Almighty God and therefore strengthen those who are his people who live under his sovereignty. And this is followed by personal salutations. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, Peter said, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. I believe it will be correct for us to identify Silvanus with Silas back in the book of Acts. He's first mentioned in Acts 15.22 as a co-worker of Paul. He's mentioned as a participant with the apostles in 2 Corinthians 1.19. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1. By the name Silas, he is mentioned 13 times in the book of Acts. Peter regarded him as a faithful brother, meaning a member of the family of God and faithful in that he was trustworthy in the discharge of his work before the Lord. Verse 12, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So Peter closes the epistle admitting his brevity, but claiming that in his brevity, there is useful instruction from God, exhorting to urge to respond, to motivate, to call people to account for their duties before God declaring, telling, 
what you know. The apostles were witnesses of the sufferings of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. They were told the truth about what people ought to do in response to Christ. They declared all of that. Peter wrote to the suffering Christians in Asia Minor briefly, but in his short letter to them, useful instruction, an apostle of Christ exhorting and testifying to Christians. And there is this marvelous expression, which should lend itself to considerable thought and self-examination for me and for you. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. The grace of God is his unmerited favor toward us. We do not deserve the love and care God has shown for us. Nothing in our behavior merits the gift of salvation and eternal life. God's grace is his unmerited favor toward us. One expression of God's grace is all the instruction he's given for us to use. In this sense, Paul wrote to Titus, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us. So the instruction we have in the New Testament is an expression itself of God's grace to us. He favors us with a written revelation of his will. Peter was able to testify and exhort because God revealed his will through the inspired apostles who preached it and wrote it for us. First Peter is part of that written revelation of his will. So it was proper for Peter to say, this is the true grace of God. So what do you do about that? Stand firm in it. Standing in this sense is not passive. It's the activity of holding good ground, remaining stable in the activity of your faith, <coughs> using the exhortation and the testimony graciously given by God. Verse 13, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. This verse this verse has been the object of considerable speculation and debate. On the surface, the simplest approach would seem to yield the unmysterious fact. There was a local church in Babylon, and those Christians sent greetings to those in Asia Minor. Peter calls Mark his son, perhaps in the same sense Timothy was Paul's son relationship. Mark was associated with Peter in relationship with Peter at the time, and he sent his greetings along with Peter. The debate centers around Babylon. Was Peter talking about the actual city of Babylon in the Mesopotamian Valley, approximately modern-day Baghdad, in historical literature sometimes called Babylon on the Euphrates. There was a small Roman outpost in Egypt near Cairo, also called Babylon. 
Or a third possibility is sometimes offered that Peter was actually referring to Rome using the name Babylon in some symbolic sense. Well, my view is no great practical advantage is gained by trying to settle the debate with some absolute answer. A pretty good rule to follow is always assume the literal meaning unless there is something in the context suggestive of figurative or symbolic meaning. meaning. That's reasonable. And when this rule is applied in 1 Peter 5.13, the conclusion would be the reference is to Christians in Babylon on the Euphrates. However, the meaning of the verse is not substantially changed by our absolute knowledge of the geographic reference. The simple essence of the matter is Christians sending greetings to other Christians. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. All of that has packed into it love and warmth and fellowship and peace spiritual health and harmony, good welfare to all who are in Christ. And that brings us to the end of First Peter. I'll be back in just a second. I'm back now, and I want to go over with you kind of a review of First Peter. Here's something I found a number of years ago, not original with me, but it becomes a good review, a good way to remember the practical content of 1 Peter. This is sometimes called the Ten Commandments of Peter, not Moses, but using that expression as applied to the practical value of 1 Peter, the Ten Commandments in 1 Peter. Prepare your minds for action. Be ready for here, in here, for what happens out here in life. And that means love one another. First Peter 1.22 in chapter 4, verse 8. It means put away sin. Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Be subject to the authorities. Have unity of mind. The other ten commandments, the other five of these ten practical lessons from First Peter, make a defense, offer a defense of the hope that is in you. Be willing to rejoice while you suffer as a Christian. Serve one another to the best of your ability. Cast your care on God, and steadfastly resist the devil. I really hope these studies have been helpful to you and your spiritual life in First Peter. And the next video will continue into Second Peter. I'm Warren Berkeley, and these recorded videos are brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. Have a good day.